pray together. Holy God, we give thanks to you as we gather in this place. We give thanks that we are able to be here to worship tonight. We give thanks that your Holy Spirit has promised to meet us wherever we have gathered to worship. Where two or more gathered, you have promised there you will be also. And you have promised that in this holy season, you would be with us as we focus our hearts and our minds upon you. Come this night, O Lord, and fill us with that, that sense of repentance as we come to this place. Remind us that we are the ones who were in need of your son. We were in need of the sacrifice that he made. We are in need of the grace that he brought to us. And the forgiveness that comes to us through you, we are the ones in need of your presence. And so we pray, O oh God, that we will admit in our souls that we need you and that we need to be with you. Help us to come here with a sense of humility in our heart for all that you have done and all that you will do and all of the blessings that we have received. Make us humble people as we gather here. We give thanks, O oh God, for those who have given their lives to you in faith and those who are wanting to profess their faith in you. No matter where they are or what the circumstances are, we are grateful, O oh God, that there are those who, who, who love you and who want to give their lives to you and to, and to follow you. And we pray, O oh God, that we will be good stewards of that faithfulness, that we will do all that we can do to try to help them to, to, to grow and to make them know that they are part of the kingdom of God and that you are on their side. Help us to celebrate with them, O oh Lord, and help us to be able to, to come up with the means and the ways to, to help them be baptized into this community of faith. We come here giving thanks, O oh God, for all of those who professed their faith this past Sunday. We ask you to let your blessings be upon them, not just on that day, but on every day. And help us to take responsibility for trying to help them grow and to become all that they can become in you. We come here today, O oh Lord, knowing that you are offering the very best that you have to offer to us. Help us to do the same so that we may bring to you a spirit of, of adoration, a spirit of desire to be at one with you, and a spirit of worship. Make it so as we gather in this place. Open our hearts and our minds to your word and let that word lift us and speak to us. For it is in your name we offer our prayer. Amen. Hear these words from the Gospel of Mark. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, just as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I am sending my messenger before you who will prepare your way. The voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching, saying, After me one is coming, who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to bend down and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming out of the water, he saw the heavens open up and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. And immediately the spirit brought him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were serving him. Now after John was taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The word of the Lord. Hopefully you picked up one of the devotional guides that was out in, uh, outside the sanctuary there. Uh, it's written by Henry Nowen, one of my favorite authors. I hope it's a daily devotional for Lent. So I hope that you'll take that and use that. And then also, uh, just outside the Welcome Center, there's a couple of information sheets. One is uh, about what is Lent. Uh, now a lot of people don't know exactly what it is, what its origins are, what the history of it is. And so uh, pick one of those up and you can read about it. And then uh, there's another sheet that says 40 ways to make the most of Lent. Now don't try to do all 40 of them, okay? But uh, pick out one or two or three and uh, try to follow them during the, the season of Lent. So what is Lent? Is it not the stuff that catches on your clothes while they're in the dryer? Or sometimes get stuck in your belly button? Can I say belly button in church? I just did, okay. You know, the word Lent comes from the shortening of an old English word, Lincoln, which means spring season, and it's a reference to the lengthening of the days. So the season of Lent is the 40-day period preceding Easter, excluding Sundays, calling Christians to a season of self-examination. And the traditional purpose of Lent has been to encourage Christians everywhere to recognize the sin in their lives and to repent. But Lent is much more than that. If you look at our scripture lesson that Tommy just read for us from the Gospel of Mark, there's three significant events that have taken place in the life of Jesus. His baptism, his wilderness experience, and then his preaching ministry. Well, interestingly, when you think about it, these events very much paralleled the experience of the Israelites after their release from captivity in Egypt. First of all, Jesus, like the Israelites, is, is on a journey. And the first significant event of his journey is his baptism by John in the Jordan River. And what was the Israelites' first significant experience after Moses led them out of captivity? It was the Red Sea experience, when God parts the water, which allows the Israelites to pass through on dry ground unharmed. As for Jesus, after he comes up out of the water, he hears a voice from heaven saying to him, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then immediately, Mark says, and that's one of his favorite words, with Jesus's hair still wet from his baptism, he takes a trip into the wilderness. No sooner had he come up out of the water and was confirmed as the son of God that the spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
And Mark underlines the severity of this test by remarking that he was with wild beasts. Well, what was the Israelites' experience? Well, following their Red Sea experience, they were God's chosen people, but we know that they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And then the final event in our scripture lesson is Jesus' proclamation of the gospel. Mark says that he goes into Galilee and he is preaching the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That was his very first sermon. His baptism, his season of temptation and trial have now led him to begin to fulfill his purpose, which was to proclaim the good news. The time has arised. This is a kairos moment, God's appointed time. Well, for the Israelites, the moment of redemption came when they entered into the promised land. They had been through the Red Sea. They had experienced the 40 years of wilderness wanderings. And now in God's good timing, they're allowed to enter the land of milk and honey that is promised to them. So what is all this saying to us? That we're all on a journey. We're all on a journey. And there's a destination And the season of Lent prepares us by helping us to recognize the sin in our lives and the importance of resisting it and repenting of it. Repentance has a purpose. It seeks to lead us into greater conformity to the mind of Christ so that we might proclaim the good news of salvation through him and hopefully lead us to more effective ministry in the name of Jesus. And why 40 days? Well, 40 days is a round number symbolizing fullness, the span of time that is sufficient to accomplish what needs to take place. For 40 years, the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, and as our scripture lesson points out, Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and nights. And during that time, Jesus is tempted by the devil, but he doesn't succumb to it. He was disciplined and his actions tell us a lot about the nature of sin and the importance of resisting temptation. For you see, God cares about sin. And the Bible makes it clear that the people of God are to be free from the power of sin. God cares about our behavior. Holiness is something that God wishes for because it's simply the best way to live. The commandments of God are not given to us to make our lives dull and and, uh, drudgery, but rather to make our lives whole and to, to make them healthy. And at the heart of God is the desire that we be whole and that sin, which destroys and fragments our lives, is resisted. And while it may seem appealing on the surface, beneath the surface lurks a poison that will ultimately destroy us. Sin is that which stains and ruins our souls. We're drawn to it. We're tempted by it. Only to find that it offers a very short season of pleasure and a lasting and sometimes lifelong season of pain. Well, God knows this, and so he prescribes a way of living that keeps us from this seductive yet destructive way of living. Holiness is God's desire for us. And what does it mean to be holy? 
Well, first of all, it's not just about obeying a set of rules. In fact, if you recall, Jesus attacked the Pharisees for the mere outward obedience to law while he said they were neglecting the spirit of the law. To the Pharisees, holiness was defined as a way to to separate the clean from the unclean people. Washing your hands properly, not performing any work on the Sabbath, not eating certain foods, avoiding the company of Gentiles, especially those tax collectors and those harlots. That was the way of holiness for the Pharisees. But Jesus openly defied this definition. He shattered the Pharisees' outward rituals in favor of inward purity. He said, it's not what goes into the mouth that makes a person unclean, but what comes out of the mouth that makes a person unclean. Jesus turned attention away from ritual purity and pointed to the purity of the heart, demonstrated in unshakable obedience to God. However, Jesus could also say, if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. To Jesus, keeping the commandments was not optional. Rather, it was a natural outgrowth of a life that is yielded to God. And if we are in love with God, we will obey his laws because we trust him, just as a child trusts a parent, and thus we will follow his way. We do not obey his commandments begrudgingly. Instead, we keep them because our experience with God has shown us that that is the best course of action. As that old hymn suggests, trust and obey, for there's no other way. Well, since God desires that we become holy, it's important that we try to find some appropriate pathways into this life. And this is the place where our theology becomes practical. As I've said, it's not merely the outward obeying of certain rules or ritual that make a person holy, but rather that we engage in certain disciplines or exercises as a means of training so that the end result is greater ability to resist temptation and to obey the commandments of God. These disciplines, these spiritual practices, they are not ends in themselves, but they put us in the path of God so that he can do something with us. So I want to share with you some spiritual disciplines, some spiritual exercises that you might consider entering into during this next season of Lent, perhaps for the next several weeks as we observe Lent together and prepare ourselves for Easter and the resurrection of our Lord. These exercises don't make you more godly. They don't make you more pleasing to God. They're simply some ways for you to make some space for God in your lives. So number one, pray that the Holy Spirit would purify your heart and your mind and then listen. Pray the Holy Spirit would purify your heart and mind and then listen. You see, God works from the inside out via the Holy Spirit to bring about change. So to ask God to to search your heart to see if there's any hidden evil in your life or any activity that he wishes for you to cease doing. And then listen. And when you have a sense of what it is that God wants to free you from, pray that the Holy Spirit 
will purge that sin, even the desire of it, from your life. Secondly, respond to temptation with the Word of God. Respond to temptation with the Word of God. When you read the account of Jesus in the wilderness, how did he respond to Satan? He quoted God's Word. You might want to memorize those three responses that Jesus gave to the devil. And when you're tempted to gratify selfish desires or doubt God's power or seek wealth or fame, respond to the temptation with the corresponding verse of Scripture. Jesus used the power of the Word of God to defeat Satan, and so can we. And then thirdly, try a 24-hour fast. Jesus fasted in the wilderness to gain spiritual strength. When we fast, we are saying no to the uncontrolled appetites of our body and thereby gaining mastery over them. The practice of fasting can reveal hidden things about us like short tempers, selfishness, the inability to to delay gratification, or any number of things that keep us from being holy. Now, I know that when we think of fasting, we think most about not eating, but there are other things that we can fast from that have control over our lives. For example, watching too much television can be addictive and a destructive habit. Give it up. Use the extra time for some other spiritual discipline or simply to take some time with to be with your family, or to to get some exercise. Number four, be a gossip buster. Be a gossip buster. Whenever you or someone you're with begins to gossip, put an end to it. Steer the conversation in another direction. Number five, go a day without saying anything negative. Try to go a day without even the slightest hint of criticism or judgment. Be honest, but not critical. Instead, search for ways to be positive about everything around you and to be bold in offering compliments as often as you can. Number six, cultivate integrity in your speech by focusing on simplicity and honesty in all that you say. Jesus said of Nathaniel, he was a man without guile. Guile is dishonesty, deceit, speaking falsehood, shading the truth, manipulating words, double talk and the like. Pray that the Holy Spirit will make your heart pure and honest and show when you are being less than honest and straightforward. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Number seven, memorize or familiarize yourself with the Ten Commandments or the Beatitudes in an attempt to make them more a conscious part of your living. The psalmist tells us, Your words have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. And then finally, do a covet check in your life. Do a covet check. Are you coveting anything? Is there something that you want so bad that you will not rest 
until you get it. Relinquish it. Relinquish it to the Lord, letting go of your need to possess it, and then offer a prayer of thanksgiving for all that you do have. So these are just suggestions. But I would challenge you to begin a new discipline that you might keep through the Lenten season that would cause you to give consideration to those things that are keeping you from a healthy relationship with God and with others. And at the same time would open up for you some new possibilities for living in relationship with God and with other people. Earlier we sang the old hymn, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. The third verse which we didn't sing, but I'm going to share it with you, says, Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe, all who are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? That's what Lent's all about. It's acknowledging our rebellion against God, the guilt of sin, and then accepting God's grace that pardons and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And then we move on to the fruit of repentance, a change of life that results when we head in a new and a better direction. You see, repentance is a good thing. It's a good thing. And all of us need in some way to have restoration and renewal so may each of us have a fresh experience of God's marvelous grace this season a grace greater than all our sin let's pray together almighty God you have created us out of the dust of the earth so we pray that you would grant that these ashes may be to us a sign of our mortality and penitence so that we may remember that only by your gracious gift are we given everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We invite you to come forward for the imposition of ashes. We will form two lines, and uh, Tommy will be here to my left, and I'll be on the right, and she'll come down and then uh, move to, uh, to the sides, back to your, your seats. Remember that you are dust and the dust you shall return.